One of my favorite psalms is Psalm number one. I remember when our kids were little, we used to, at supper time, have a little time of Bible stories and teaching and prayer time and so on. And We learned Psalm 1 by heart. And uh, our kids were, were young. They were, oh, they were preteens. And they grasped it more quickly than we did <laughs> with their agile minds. And they can quote it yet today. But follow as I read. And then we'll make a few comments on what this psalm teaches us. And then we'll close. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. As we glance at those first two verses, we see a description of a godly man's conversation. Now I use that word carefully because typically we think of conversation as talking back and forth with people. But conversation also means manner of life. And in fact, most frequently in the Bible, that's how it is used, is to describe a manner of life. And notice the manner of life of the blessed man, the happy man, the one who enjoys life the most. It's one who does not walk according to the counsel of the ungodly. The popular wisdom of the day disregards it, doesn't pay attention to it. Notice he doesn't stand with sinners, congregate with them, associate with them. His best friends are not sinners. And notice that finally he does not sit down with the scoffers, becoming one with them. No, that's not the happy man. The godly man, the blessed man, the one who has happiness in life is the one who instead thinks about God's word. That word meditates has taken on some unfortunate meanings in our day. Oftentimes we think of meditation as that which the Far Eastern religions espouse where you sit cross-legged with straight back and hands folded in your lap and you try to make your mind blank so that you think of nothing and you just sit there and kind of hum a little tone and that's what they call meditating. That's not what this word means. 
And sadly, even in our day, many people in the what we would call Christian churches teach that kind of meditation. That which the Far Eastern religions promote. And they encourage people to just sit silently and quietly and empty their minds of thought. And it's at those times when God will speak to them. Not true. Not true. I have an old friend who's died a number of years ago and went to heaven. He used to coin the phrase, an empty mind is the devil's workshop. No. The godly man thinks about God's word. And that word meditate means to preach to yourself. In other words, you read the Bible, you read God's law, and you preach to yourself. Time Hill, that's how you're supposed to live. Time Hill, that's how you're supposed to think. And you would do the same using your own person, in your own name, reading God's word, thinking about it, trying to understand it and to grasp it. Asking God to open your mind to understand it. And by His Holy Spirit, causing it to become part of your life and the way you think. That's meditation, according to how the Bible teaches it. The blessed man meditates upon God's Word, thinks about it, corrects and conforms his life according to the truths of God's Word. Now, the next two verses, verses 3 and 4, outline for us the consequences of, on the one hand, the godly man, and the consequences, on the other hand, of the ungodly man. Now, of course, you understand, when the Bible uses the word man, it doesn't just mean the male of the species. It's talking about mankind. So it's both male and female. But that's just the way the scriptures are written. So we're looking here at both men and women. But the godly man, he says, is like a tree. And not just any old tree, because we've seen some trees about us because of the, of the summer without rain. We've seen some trees dying on us. Their leaves withering and falling off. Not that kind of a tree. A tree planted by water, which would cause the roots of the tree to go down deep into the soil, down through the water, and able to use it to bring health and vitality to the tree. Planted by water, streams of water, and it yields its fruit in season. On time. Notice it brings forth fruit. It's a fruitful tree. It's not a dead tree by terms of fruit, living, having leaves, but no fruit. This is a tree that not only has leaves, but fruit when it is supposed to. His leaf doesn't wither, doesn't die away remains vital and vibrant. 
the ungodly are not so. They're not like a tree. They're like chaff. Oh, we've all seen chaff, haven't we? We just came through a season of harvest when chaff filled the air and we could see it as we would go through the countryside. The leftovers from fruit. The leftovers from harvesting, cutting down the plants to extract the fruit from the plant and the plant no longer having any value is ground up into chaff that the wind blows away. That's the ungodly person. It's like chaff. No stability. No vibrancy. No life. Chaff is dead. Worthless material. Significant contrast between the one who pursues after God and studies and conforms his or her life to the truth of God's word and the ungodly who totally disregards it. One has life, vibrant and strong, the other dead and worthless. Chaff. Notice verses 5 and 6, how the psalm concludes. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Now we come to the end of all things, the consummation of things. What will become true at the end? Well, the chaff isn't going to last. The chaff will not stand. It blows away with the wind. No way can it stand in the time of judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Jesus said that when he comes at the end of all things, at the consummation, he will separate. Everybody doesn't get to go to the party. Not everyone will enter into eternal life. Some will. Some won't. And it says that he will separate the sheep from the goats. There's going to be a separation. The sheep on his right hand will enter into eternal life with him. Those on the left that he describes as the goats, here called chaff, they will separate from God everlastingly. No, everyone doesn't get to go to the party. Not everyone gets to enjoy eternal life with God. It says the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This, though it may not appear so at first, This psalm does fit in with the kind of history that the scripture speaks about called redemptive history. God's plan of redemption goes through four stages. It begins with creation. Then comes the fall or the sin of man. 
Then comes redemption. Then comes consummation. Well, where does this fit in? This fits in, obviously, after the fall, because we have two different kinds of people mentioned here. In creation, we only had one kind of person, the holy, the righteous, the upright, how God created them. After the fall, we have two kinds of people. We have the wicked, and we have the godly. Only two. There's not three, not four, not some maybe. Either you are wicked or you are godly. And this psalm clearly identifies and distinguishes between the two. But notice, it talks about some features and characteristics of the godly ones. The godly ones are those who pursue after God, who desire to know Him, who study His Word. I'm not talking here about spending hours. Our state in life doesn't permit us to do that. We fall asleep part of the way through. We get tired and we're not able to concentrate for hours at a time. But we can certainly do it every day, can't we? We can spend time every day examining His Word, trying to understand it, to see how God wants us to live. And we can certainly spend some time during the day trusting Christ and giving thanks to God the Father for giving His Son to pay the penalty of our sin that we deserve. So this clearly describes for us some aspects of God's plan of redemption. God promised redemption for Adam and Eve back in the garden when they sinned. An act of grace, an act of mercy in the midst of his judgment upon them for their disobedience. He said he would send the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. That's Jesus. This makes reference to those who are followers of God's provision for them. And we see outlined for us in the last couple of verses the consummation of all things. The separation that occurs. This directly correlates to you and me today. Which description fits you? Does a description of the godly describe you? That you want to know more of God and you pursue after Him and you love Him and you trust His provision for you who was Jesus Christ His Son? the only Savior? Have you made Him your Savior? Or are you on the side of the ungodly? Described here as chaff, worthless, dead, devoid of any life or vibrancy. You're in one or the other. This psalm serves as a, first of all, a warning. 
a warning to you. To cause you to think and to examine yourself. Boy, which of these describe me? And then having the warning from Scripture to then take action. That action would cause you to trust God and His provision for you. Jesus Christ, His Son. So I would just simply ask you, have you done that? Have you trusted Him? Have you called upon His provision? If you have, the part of this psalm that describes the godly describes you. That one day you will stand with the congregation of the righteous. If you have never called upon Christ, this psalm also describes you only in words of description of judgment, condemnation. ungodly thankfully you have today today you can call upon him and you can say I don't know all of this I don't understand all of it but Tom quotes your word and he says that your word says that if I call upon you I'll be saved I call upon you And I trust you as my Savior. And that what you accomplished in your life and your death and your resurrection, you did it for me. And you become my Savior as well as His Savior. I trust that if you have not called upon Him, that today you will. That today will become the day when you believe and trust and call. The warnings of Psalm 1 spurring you into action. Well, I pray that the Spirit of God will open your mind to understand and bring forth in you the faith to believe and a trust in Jesus to the saving of your soul. Let's close in prayer. Father, this is a simple psalm, and yet it carries for us such great, important truth to remind us of the seriousness of life and the seriousness of your judgment that you bring upon those who fail to trust your provision. You have given us a wonderful provision, your only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he came and lived and took on human flesh and when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty that sinners like us deserve to pay. And he promised and said that all who come to him will find rest. And everyone who comes to him, he will accept. And he said that all who believe upon him will have everlasting life 
identifying him as your provision of a Savior for sinners like us. And so I pray for those of us who have gathered together that if one here has not yet trusted Christ, that today would be that day when they would believe and trust your provision for them in Jesus Christ, your Son. And we will thank you for what you accomplish in our lives. For I ask these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.